0: Welcome, my dystoplikins. I'm Raul Guerrero, and you are listening to the Dystopian Republic. Today's story begins on the morning of June 29th, 2002. The sun shined and warmed the flowery, wooden, and windy flatland that made Camelliaburg distinct. Smack dab in the city's Nucleolus, the Paisley Gardens, jovially danced its stems and leaves. The United Bromelian Appeal turned its event plaza into an advocacy for checked and validated markets and call for the advancement of social justice, Hued in the blue salt of their party's mascot, the native Prus Blue Robin. Like their conservative rivals, the UBA, too, pulled all the stops in making their event super Duper. Its center-left, caucus for liberal democracy, left-wing, progressive, national alliance, and far left, socialist workers' union factions were eager to bury their hatchets with good times and company. Candida, Catalino the Sixth, Yamile, Regulo, Varinia, and Lisandro were six such liberals looking to be on friendly terms again. Since they last met the Rusalka Six, a lot had changed in the time that followed, breaking their pack into three strained pairs. Arriving early, Regulo waited in his fire beetle, nervy over what he got himself into. His nervousness was patched shut by Yamile parking her petite rover. Excited to see each other again, they hugged like schoolchildren and kissed Both cheeks. He asked her how things were going with applying for grad school. Yamele answered that she was having a hard time finding a school that had faith in her smarts and grit. Her GPA was in the 360 range, but because every school of philosophy was impacted, such an average was below the mean. She told him not to feel sorry for her, understanding that it was the system and not her which was why she prepared a persuasive speech for the UBA's federal committee in an apartment near Vermelia State University at Camelliaburg lisandro still couldn't believe varinia convinced him to attend a picnic to him hearing the united appealers rave about the people partyers being fascists who want vermelia to be evil again was worse than knives scratching plates. Farinia told Lisandro not to be ridiculous and directed his eyes to hers, telling him she wouldn't have insisted on going if she thought nothing good would come out of it. He groaned and forced out his promise to keep an open mind, calling her the only person in the world he still trusted. Sucking in her lips, she recalled the hell he went through with Alejio and Lisandra, as it was the misery that made her parents, Varinio and Cobura, dead to her. He walked with her out of the apartment and into their posh, suede sweet, on wheels, hoping for the best. And In an every sedan en route to the theme park, Catalino held Candida's right hand. They learned that their car and the three brought up before it, were the most popular among Vermillion consumers. In fact, almost all of the picnic's attendees drove one of those four vehicles as it was their way of signaling how in touch they were with the people. Catalino was on the same edge that made Regulo's nerves easy to jolt, recollecting the craziness that went down at the turn of the millennium Candida shared in Yamile's longing for the gang to be back together, but the story behind her desire was absent of any bubbles or light, and had everything to do with her 1998 abduction. During yesterday's noontide, all was non-violent at the yard of Costa de la Grande Provincial Prison, south of Camelliaburg. Under heavy guard, the cliques kept to the sides they were on, During the Civil War, in a segregated housing cell, a beam of sun lifted it out of its dull gray shade, ebulliently mocking a darkened Manola. She was sometime removed from a conversion that led her to a life prison term for her role in an event that laid siege to an entire hamlet. As much as that incident incensed Manola, she knew her days of withering in a cage were about to be numbered. Shortly after, all of the automatic doors in the prison opened, surprising every inmate on the yard and in their cell. The lights flickered, then shut it off, taking with it every machine connected to power. A short and shivery calm was blown off its foundation by a storm that rushed for the exits and settled scores. Correctional officers took down most of the inmates, attempting to escape by tackle nightstick, taser, pistol, and rifle, but a few of their prisoners managed to slip through their fingers, eyes, and crosshairs. Two hours went by before power was restored, letting prison staff close the doors that were opened. A female officer clocked out of her morning shift and was cleared to leave by armed guards. After presenting her ID, she stepped into her every sedan and revealed herself as Manola, in uniform, wearing circular reading glasses with inky freckles, and her sable hair in a short bun. The woman she disguised herself as was found strangled in her former cell, prison oranges, rubber slippers, and all. When it came to appearance and mannerisms, their similarities were all but genetic. That led staff to believe that Manola had gone mad and committed suicide, not shedding a tear for an inmate who was among their most notorious. They were unaware that the dead woman was one of their own and that their prisoner was alive and on the loose. Manola pulled up to her victim's house and locked up the car, waving and smiling back at neighbors who wished her a nice afternoon as she stepped inside. Once physically and mentally in the clear, she made herself a hot cocoa, took a bag of marshmallows out of the pantry, and watched some cartoons from the 50s. Sipping and munching the farcical games of hide-and-seek and tag on display took Manola to a chapter in her life that was far more innocent. She dedicated her time in her cell to sketching and coloring her favorite characters on note. Book paper. It was her way of fending off boredom and placing her guards on the receiving ends of every hit, slam, bang, boom, and splat she could think of. After the cartoons ended, Manola called Upton Jr. to tell him that she was out. Glad to hear that she was free, he directed her to carry out her next objectives. Via telephone, Manola told Candida, she was coming for her and those other kids she hung out with. The call being on speaker, Catalino heard every word and was as petrified as his friend was. Late in the morning, United Appealers entered the park by the dozen in their rough t-shirts, loose shorts, and walk-friendly tennis. Not a worry or fear was anywhere near their sights nor those of the park's staff as the plaza began to fill with people, the six pieces that formed the pack met on one asphalt. Candida was desperately delighted to have her arms around Yamile and Varinia, making their already big smiles even larger. The greeting handshake Catalino and Roigulo carefully voiced and gave made their unease ache a little less. Lisandro sternly watched on with his arms crossed, keeping his hard feelings from infiltrating his voice box. But for Verinia's sake, he forced himself to kiss Yamile's cheek, give Catalino a manly hug, shake Regulo's hand, and say hello to Candida in that order. On good enough terms, the pack got their tickets stamped and were allowed to get their fun underway. They ran for a water lily that swung 360s in place at a machine's command. Waiting in line, the chill that kept the pack's grips weak rose to a more fair temperature, bringing up the happy and fun times they had together. Those days and nights flew to the skies, skipped through flowers, and drank like hummingbirds. Yet they also wore their genetics on their sleeves, kicked others while they were down and swung their looks in everyone else's faces. At the time, no one in the pack gave a darn about how cruel and hurtful their actions really were, but after all the sullage that came their way, they realized what pitiless a-holes they had been. That handed each member of the pack a new lease on life, that was more focused, determined, and dutiful than the old. Nevertheless, Bits of their teenage selves still lay dormant in their souls, pieces whose inner contents differed greatly by person. The pack sat down and strapped themselves at the rear of the ride, wanting and forcing each other to feel the full force of its 360s. Yamile was excited and eager for the ride to come alive, a far cry from the dread that made Regulo hope for a mechanical malfunction the ominous warning sign, pushed Catalino to regret having deep-fried cookies for breakfast. Farinia took a deep breath in anticipation of the fear she was about to face. The gate to the right closed, and it clicked and clamped to life, turning Gandida's frown into a smile, but making Lisandro wonder what the hell he just got himself into. Its controller told all riders not to let go of their chest harnesses at any time, and said that by riding the lily, they will hold the operator and theme park harmless. Those words spelled the start of a five-minute cycle of ascents for the sky, and descents to the floor from upside down, forceful fluctuations in weight, took Candida to an altitude where she was inches above, heaven's cloud flooring, their slides out, pushes forward, shoves back, and plops in, sickened Catalino. Yamile blew woohoos and yays at each rush of adrenaline the ride fostered, holding Regulo's hand as he wailed like a boy about to get a tooth pulled, the window that was Lisandro's quietude before the ride shattered to sand once it began moving. To the very end, Varinia fought off the temptation to scream bloody murder with her desire to stand and step off the lily, a stronger woman. After the ride, Candida imitated the staggers of a teeny bopper under the influence of an acetaminophen hydrocodone cocktail. She insolently told Yamile to get bent for asking if she needed a dollar to reserve a bed to lay her back on. Feeling a big weight come off her back, Varinia reminded them of the union the pack was trying to rekindle. That sobered Candida at the flash of a light and flowed Yamile's jollity down the drain. It upset Regulo into saying they should've fought about that effort to rekindle before electing to ride Incubus if he were a machine. Catalino's retching and fight to keep his breakfast down stopped him from taking his rant a word farther. His clamping of his cookies to his stomach ran parallel to Yamile, violently spewing the big bowl of candy she ate for breakfast onto a steel drum-turned-trash-can. Doped up on a tickling kafarsis, Regulo hoped that she felt and smelt every disgusting, nauseating piece of matter that sprayed out of her mouth. Enraged by what he hoped for, Yamile stormed up, to him and licked his right cheek as if it was a lollipop. Smelling and feeling saliva, stomach acid, eaten candy pieces, Regulo called her an air-headed seaward and charged at her with the ferocity of the scream he coughed out. His slur brought Yamile on a path that was pretty much a carbon copy of the one fueling his rush to kick her tail. Catalino and Varinia restrained him and her, centimeters shy of them slamming into an injurious flurry that snapped, broke, and swelled. Candida pinched Yamile in Regulo's lower jaws like vending machine claws. Her demand for them to get it together hissed open the fangs that would stick them if they didn't. On impulse, Lisandro suggested that the pack take a stroll the park's other big event. His suggestion slowed Yamile and Regulo's discomposures from 60 to 30. It was to the relief and discomfiture of Candida, Catalino, and Varinia, compelling them to visit a show that was a source of pride for some, but something very different for others. Brumelia's auto industry was on full display in the grand tent at the back of the park. Laramie Llamas, Aragon, Rosario, Arnoldo, Madrid, Iniesta, Echeverria, G.S. Gaudi, Sandrino, M.L. Merlo, Linde, G. Garrido, and Navigator, Navarro, Aungon, Vicario, Inner Garibay, Alemán, Fontón, Otero, Resende. Founded on New Year's Day 1996, the companies were 5 of the nation's first steps out of the rubble that was the civil war their mission was to incite pride bring healing and be productive in a time of shame agony and indolence though the final products of that mission would differ considerably among the car manufacturers the long horns that gave laramie its identity carried over to its V8 engines, thousand pound feet of torque, and invulnerable metal. GS approached their cars with a carefulness that made it stand out for its reliability, fuel economy, and generous warranty. ML was big on SUVs that put luxury and utility on a balance that took them a long time to perfect. G based their line of cars on an exclusive artistic opulence that would attract the richest possible clientele. Navigator made it their duty to design and build cars that the common person could afford and would want to buy. Catalino had a hell of a time maneuvering his desolation around his vocal folds, unlike Regulo, who ran for the entrance the second he saw all the cars, Candida and Verenia restrained his run to a stop that fluttered and struggled. The former told him he was doing the walk even if it boiled his soul into a solid white and yolk. Varinia covered Regulo's mouth, reducing his foul rant about Candida's female dogginess to a muffled temper tantrum. Once that ran its course, the pack opened their walk with a look at Laramie's lineup. the 2003 model year to Catalino's dismal chagrin. Its main star was its supercar, brawny yet agile, with an exclusivity as rare as the antelope it was based on. For Catalino, it was the successor to the car his father Catalino V and mother Clydette took turns riding with him in. The supercar was a passion project from when it was an idea to the moment it was first shipped to dealers. Catalino's parents were so in love with their creation that they bought one for themselves. December 23, 2000 was a Sunday perfect for a few laps around Delbru Roadside Speedway. Located northeast of Myronbury, it was a one-mile oval known for its negligible banking. On its straightaways, and turns. Catalino the sixth drove his first laps by himself, glad not to have his mom or dad watching over his every reflex. He ended his drive without incident and handed his parents the supercar in one piece. Catalino V took the wheel, Clydette became his passenger, and their son watched as they got up to speed and began their laps. During the 12th lap, He stomped on the throttle as he exited turn two and raced down the back straightaway. His son and wife turned white as the supercar got faster the closer it got to turn three. Not able to slow down, Catalino's parents hit the wall nearly head-on. The supercar burst into flames as it spun in the air, landing and resting near the inside wall in turn four. Catalino's mother and father both died instantly from the impact, but sustained only minor burns. The crash and the hopelessness it evoked threw their son's heart into a sobbing abyss. It was the same chasm Regulo fell into when his parents, Onofre Jr. and Lere, were killed in an identical crash in September of that year. The car in that tragedy was a compact sedan, that had more horsepower than cubic feet. While Catalino had Gandida to help him come to terms with his parents' deaths, Regulo arranged the funeral and mourned without a shoulder to cry on. The fact that his surname was the T in Navigator only managed to get a baker's dozen to show up, and even then their sadness smelled of disappointment containing little in the way of grief. Regulo fell into a depression that even his sizable inheritance couldn't get him out of. It got better for him when he got the call from Candida to come to the picnic. Desperate for people to talk to, Regulo gave her every yes he could, not realizing that he was speaking to a woman who was one of his greater fears. The nervousness that unsteadied his arrival stemmed from the unsavory things he was afraid Candida would compel him to say or do. Regulo's former self was still a ghost that haunted his nightmares and silent reflections. The others in the pack also had a number of run-ins with the spirits they grew out of in wakefulness and sleep. In spite of all that, Regulo was relieved to see Candida show no semblance of the young lady who sickened their herd. The period of time from the initial arrival to the walk through the car show proved to him that the pack's unity was alive and well. Yamile checked her watch and saw that lunch was minutes from being served, blabbering to her confreres that she needed to go to the plaza and prepare for her speech. Hearing alarms all around, the pack ran for the entrance as Manola fixedly looked on. Her plan was to seek a reprisal on them in the grandest and loudest possible way. British steaks and Turkish kebabs grilled to perfection on quadruplet barbecues supported by smashed peas, oven fries, and basmati rice. On one table, Nationalists oddly sat with the two political leaders. He was in between, politically. Caucuser Gabino Palacios III and Unionist Presley Cisneros. The three were on good terms personally, but their relations, on a professional level, weren't as agreeable. verinia and Lisandro ate their food as they traded filthy looks and nasty groans with every liberal operative who was present Those same powerful leftists knew about what they had done when they were in high school. Their children had been on the receiving ends of the same kind of bullying the pack unleashed. The havoc it wreaked on their psyches made forgiving people like Varinia and Lisandro almost impossible. In the shade behind the stage curtain, Yamile repeatedly glanced at her speech closed her eyes, and read the words in her head. Regulo's fraidy steps up to the crossover, put the brakes to her practicing, peeving her to ask him if he came up to insult her some more. He said sorry to Yamile for what he hoped for as she was vomiting her brains out. The hurt he inflicted on her returned front and center, and so did the harm she dished out when she licked his face in retaliation. Yamele took a second to think over her reply to Regulo wanting to not take responsibility for her lick without being taken to task. She straight-lined her mouth and looked away, not saying a word or making a sound. As frigid as he found that to be, Regulo tolerated it, wishing her the best of luck. Yamele felt a dark quarter in her mind brighten like the shift from winter snow to spring grass. The curtain opened as she entered center stage to an ovation duller than watching paint dry. Its opening disintegrated the good spirited high Yamele garnered from Regulo's wish. Her gait became more trembly and rigid the closer she got to the mic, stiffening to a concrete block when she saw all the mature faces. The ruthlessness and spitefulness each one emitted shrunk her emotional state to a little girl sitting scared in the corner. Candida's yells that Yamile had her speech in the bag and that she got this were in vain. It wasn't long before everyone and their neighbor could see that her friend had choked. Yamile let her speech slip under her hands, Moving and flipping and flying with the wind, dismaying her into quickly walking off stage in tears. Understanding the what and why of that shrink, Regulo caringly followed her out of the plaza. Yamele's tears beat Ferenia's heart down in a hail of bruises that swelled like boils, the pitilessness flashing into Catalino's eyes and poking on his eardrums was mind-boggling. It got Lisandro's goat harsher than skin tissue at the mercy of a poison ivy rash. His irritation was minor compared to the indignation eating Candida alive. She flounced her way onto the stage Yamile was run out of, shoving and cursing out anyone who tried to stop her. Candida told a stagehand to hand her the mic before she shoved its tripod up his rear end and out his mouth. That threat terrified him into complying, forgetting his whys and what-ifs and running off stage. Candida demanded that every establishment shill be silent and take note of every word she says. She yelled that Presley oddly Gabino and all their kind were disgusting little S words for ruining what would have been the speech of the century. Candida accused the party leadership of knowing damn well the delicate state Yamile was in. Gabino stood up and accused her of being the one who destabilized her friend's psyche. Candida exclaimed that whatever she did back then was now water over the dam asking why Yamile would come crying back to her and beg to be a part of her life again if she was as unreformed as he claimed she was. While oddly wasn't sure what to think, Presley reflected silently with eyes as downcast as a repentant felon. In the standing crowd surrounding the dining floor, Manola was disappointed to hear Candida still want Bermelian society to accept her. Be that as it may, it didn't matter to her anymore as she had a new mission to accomplish. No one around Manola suspected that she was up to no good or anyone other than the sheriff she strangled. The past and how it besmirched and scarred Candida emptied the task she wanted to take the liberal leadership to of its fuel. All she could say was that Presley Oddly, Gabino, Roosevelt, Joby, and Romulo were one and the same. On a sudden, an explosion well above zero decibels knocked everyone off their seats and onto the grass. It pushed out a sound wave that shook the whole park and rang every ear it reached. Upon the explosion's dissipation, a cloud of smoke rose from where the wave blew out. Verenia instantly knew that its epicenter was the car show, making her and Lisandro fear the worst for Yamile and Regulo's well being. They sprinted out of the plaza, leaving Candida and Catalino to lay in their bitterly cold shock. Verenia and Lisandro got to the smoke and fire where their hearts sank at the car show that was now in infernal ruins. The deaf, Injury and horror all around drove her to lunch for those in the epicenter as he struggled to keep her from being a casualty herself. When Camellia Berg's finest and bravest arrived on the scene, they cordoned off and physically removed every citizen from the explosion site. Varinia screamed for Yamile and Regulo as Lisandro helped officers carry her. To the parking lot, her boyfriend took her warm, moist grief and smothered it in his arms. The collar, making Lisandro's veins pulsate, pawed the ground and lowered its horns. His cell phone rang, having him wonder who could be calling him at such a dark hour. Manola asked him if he could guess who she was, chuckling with a devilish, echoing, enmity Lisandro said that it couldn't be her on the other line as she was supposed to be rotting in prison for the rest of her life with no hope of ever getting out. He wanted to know how the F she was able to escape, calling it an utter impossibility. Manola described the details of her escape as being none of his or Varinia's concern. Lisandro's girlfriend wiggled out of her sorrow and asked her point blank if she was the one behind the bombing. Manola laughed for a second, then said yes without a sand grain of hesitation, shame, or repentance, raising the couple's heart rates into the triple digits. Regulo followed Yamile past the marigold pendulum, across the bridge above the daisy bumper boats, and in between the lavender and lark drop towers, she was so caught up in her torment that she didn't even realize that she was stomping toward the parking lot opposite the one where her car was. Yamile and Rogulo were 18 yards past the tent at the time of the explosion. The volume and wave of the blast struck them unconscious, allowing Rapodo, Passau, and Joachim Navarro to take them away in the midst of the chaos and confusion. Manola poured salt on Varinia and Lisandro's wounds by letting them know that Regulo and Yamile were in the pink and under her and Upton's care. Lisandro vowed to be the fox that eats her and her superior's rabbit tails, that hardened Verinia into blowing out a strident ditto that was a far cry from her normally cordial disposition. Her tone turning a grotesque green, Manola could see that the couple's loyalty to Dean Jr. was still there. Neither Lissandro nor Verinia bothered to utter a denial, not seeing any point in doing so to someone like her they didn't let Manola's accusations of them being fascists upset them into yelling out the rebuttals she wanted to hear. Farinia told her that she will not get away with the bombing or kidnappings. In no uncertain terms, Lisandro said that Manola and Upton will be found and locked in cages where bastards like them belong he threatened to have their heads over his TV if they so much as pull one hair out of Regulo or Yamile's scalps. Upton advised him and Varinia against trying to track him or Manola down, saying that it would be the last thing they ever do. Lisandro yelled that the pack had been through hell and back on more than one occasion. Varinia added that absolutely nothing that's thrown her or his way will stop them from rescuing Regulo and Yamile. Manola told them to have at it and see what happens, promising that should their lives not be ended, they'll be begging and pleading for that departure by the time she and Upton get done with them. She hung up after telling Varinia and Lisandro to accept the reality that Regulo and Yamile were now part of the struggle. Her parting words coated them in a hibernal frost that stunned them mightily. They watched the injured be carried away on stretchers and saw filled body bags amass at the front entrance. Despite all the darkness around them, a couple glimmers of light came to them in the form of Candida and Catalino. The embrace that followed was the escape Verinia and Lisandro needed from the bombing's injuries and kidnappings' insults. Just outside their ranges of feel, the state of nerves Gandita and Catalina were in was weak, numb, and nauseating. They were cognizant of the time they were on, hearing it tick down with each heartbeat. Within the hour, word of the bombing got out to tell Neutral, and Telezorro, prompting the networks to interrupt their normal programming. It would overshadow the incident at Black Crow Springs, which was brutal and harrowing in its own respect. In an ambulance, Romulo, Lydia, and Nigella rode with Mavis, who was supine and tucked into a gurney, enduring sting after sting from her foreheads open wounds. They were too caught up in their own pain to pay heed to the bombing's non-stop coverage. In a second ambulance, Crystal reclined in her concussed, broken-nosed state as Rhonda and Josefa looked on with concern. Jade was sitting by herself in the back as Roosevelt drove when they first learned of what happened at the theme park. Their already sunk hearts Fell many meters deeper, making them wonder if the dark cloud over Brumelia will ever pass. Roosevelt was far less mad at Jade than he was when the BPP's picnic was first called off. By sundown, Rounds the First took to the presidential podium and designated June 29, 2002, as yet another dark day in Brumelia's turbulent. History. He sent his hearts and prayers to those affected by the bombing in Cameliaberg, but joined his conservative friends in condemning the mischief in Paistel Carbone. In different secret locations, Upton and Dean watched round reiterate his promise to bring evil evildoers to justice and hold its mischiefs accountable. Over their dead bodies would they let the other or the Bromelian government lay a hand on their masks. Upton got a call from Manola that informed him that she had arrived with Regulo and Yamile to his cunning exhilaration. Dean turned off the TV and carried on with his own endeavors, one of which was protecting a young girl who now resided in Bromelia City. Many Bromelians were hopeful that the night would be the end of an ugly day, but instead it would be the end of one chapter and the start of another, and as fate would have it, the next series of pages would too be written in blood and marked by tears. And that was blown to ruin Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the Dystopian Republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com and lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypal me slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful and sinister episode of The Dystopian Republic. <laughs>